Okay. Our uh, scripture passage today, this is World Communion Sunday, and our focus is going to be on communion and what that means and what it can mean for us here as the body of Christ. And uh, the scripture passage, the gospel lesson, is a prayer at the end of Jesus' life here on earth and his ministry. He was praying about a sense of unity and mission as the, uh, the body of Christ, the disciples. And he even prayed for those in the future, us. And it's a wonderful prayer. And in that is this kernel that really speaks to that, and that understanding of communion. You know, communion has many names. Communion is where we get community, this idea of unity, and that unity is with God, and it's with each other. And, uh, you know, that's very countercultural in this day and age. We do not live in a day and age of community. Lost is the concept of the common good. Everybody is doing their thing in a consumer culture. And we, we drive in and out of our neighborhoods with no real sense of connection to that neighborhood. Get to work, you know, we leave it when it's oh dark 30, and we get back when it's still dark. And we do everything we can to connect with our family, let alone our neighborhood and our community. The church is countercultural in the sense that here we need to have that understanding of connection to each other. Communion, communion is where that uh, is coming from. Then the, another name for, uh, uh, for the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper. And what does that refer to? Anybody? Okay, our theologian here, the Lord's Supper. Don't get too technical with me. If you say transubstantiation, I'm going to really get It's the Last Supper when Jesus met with his disciples. Just before he went to the cross, he had what is called the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. Man. Okay. Donna and Nathan. Okay? If you have any theological questions, there are two theologians. And I sit their feet. Okay. Another one is the word Eucharist. Does anybody know what that means? Besides Nathan. <laughs> Does anybody know what Eucharist means? Eucharist is the technical term. It means thanks. Thanksgiving. Giving thanks. It is, a, it is a time that we give thanks for what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. It's a Thanksgiving meal. That conjures up a lot of images, doesn't it? We'll talk a little more. Okay, let us stand in honor of our gospel reading. So this is part of a, of a larger prayer, and then he comes to this point in the prayer where Jesus says, as he's praying, I ask not only on behalf of these, that means these disciples here, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, 
the glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them, even as you have loved me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. The beginnings of World Communion that we celebrate on the first Sunday of October every year is it's, a desi it's designated as World Communion, um, which celebrates our oneness with all of our brothers and sisters around the world in Christian faith. The idea of World Communion Sunday originated in the 1930s. And, uh, it was, and a time of economic turmoil, depression, and, and fear. There was the rise of militaristic fascism uh, all abroad. And it was a Hugh Thomas Kerr, a pastor, a Presbyterian pastor. Yay, one for the Presbyterians. All right. Uh, at uh, Shadyside Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh. He persuaded our de denomination to designate that Sunday as uh, for uh, American Christians to join their brothers and sisters around the world at the Lord's table. And it then spread to other denominations. Now, it is a Protestant uh, um, reality, but our Methodists and UCC and, uh, and all Disciples of Christ, American Baptist, all the various uh, denominations and churches within the National Council of Churches, also within the Reformed Union, uh, the World Council of Churches. So it has spread. And so it's, it's a significant time that at the beginning this morning, there's already been people that have all around the world who have started their service together with drums or or guitars, or organs, or bells, or pianos, all with the same purpose and focus of our unity in Jesus Christ and to share in the Lord's Supper. Of course, Sunday is, in a sense, every Sunday is, in a sense, World Communion Sunday. Since many churches celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday. You know, our denomination is even encouraging that because uh, many churches have got out of the habit of serving communion uh, once a month even. Some it was once a quarter. Others, it's twice a year. And yet it is so central to our understanding of what it means to be in Christ, to be one, to be one with God through Jesus Christ and one with each other. And so uh, the liturgy that, that the denomination puts out uh, uh, allows for, not only allows for, but encourages every Sunday, like the Catholic Church does, because it is central. The Mass is central. Now, I can appreciate, appreciate the fact that in this room, probably, as many people are in this room as the many, uh, that many ideas about what communion means, let alone 
between denominations and different churches and different traditions. You know, I had mentioned, you know, transubstantiation and consubstantiation and memorial meal and all the various theologians that went through that and, and all of that. So, but, uh, you know, I can appreciate any and all of these. They bring something special. They focus on various aspects of the passages of Scripture that speak to this Last Supper. Uh, and, and uh, about the presence of Christ in that. How does that happen? How is Christ present with us and for us? How are we one? And also he stresses that do this in remembrance of me. So there's a, a remembrance meal about this. Something going on in that. And so uh, just, I just want to ask the simple question for all of you. And anyone can answer. Why do you take communion? What is special about communion for you? Remembering the gift of what Jesus Christ gave us all. Yeah. Very good. Remembrance. Remembrance. Okay, that's a very Protestant. Oh, there you go. Swingley would be very proud of you. Uh, there you go. Calvin might say, well, I'll go a little bit beyond, you know, he'd push push you a little bit toward presence, but then that's a little bit different. Yeah, Tom. So you really, really focus on the sacrificial piece of Christ himself in this which is a good thing to push us toward and to be mindful of. Yeah. There was a great Baptist, black uh, Baptist preacher had a great sermon about the Last Supper, about Good Friday, actually. And it's, um, the title of the sermon is Friday's Here, But Sunday's Coming. Friday's Here. Could you hear the cadence, too, of a, a good black preacher? He gets a cadence going. You know. Friday's here, but Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. You know, he's talking about the resurrection and everything. Uh, I love that, but I, I'm not a good black Baptist preacher. Couldn't, couldn't pull it off. Couldn't pull it off. Anybody else? Have you? Uh, yeah, Kathy. There you go. Uh-huh. That's great. It's kind of a glue. That's neat. Yes. How similar. Mm-hmm. 
on my um, on my Sabbath day. See, my today's not my Sabbath. My Sabbath rest is tomorrow. T- this afternoon and this evening is my Friday. You know, I'm off of I'm off, and then I'm thinking about my Sabbath. And in my Sabbath rest, I like to go to the Catholic church that is up the road from me, St. Brendan's, because. Where else can I go on my Sabbath on Monday where they have a worship service? Well, the Catholic Church does. So I go and I experience that, es- that connection, that unity. Now, in honor of, of uh, the fact that they, they practice closed communion, I do not take the elements. But I take it and I get a blessing and I go through the liturgy. I think it's very important. It's significant. It feeds my soul. It feeds my soul. Okay. Um, have any of you experienced a very special communion service that was the, what was special about a communion service that you've experienced? It can be here, it could be somewhere else, it could be um, at camp, it could be in a large cathedral. What was special, a special communion service to you and what was special about it? Yeah. Ooh. There you go. That's special. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Anybody else? Robin. Your first communion. <laughs> I want to mention something about that, but in a different way. Not to put the Catholics down, but... I think that this is really important, and sometimes we miss this too, uh, except for some of us here don't, and I really want to emphasize that. But anyway. A number of years ago, we were visiting with one of my chemistry professors at Yale University, and his brother is a Catholic priest, and uh, I was curious after we went to Mass with him that Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I like that. I like that. I like that. But the idea was we had an opportunity to discuss with uh-huh. each other our particular point of view, his particular point of view, and his brother's point of view. Yeah. That's really important. That we as ministers, especially, that are um, administering the sacrament, need to remember we don't own the sacrament. And that we need to make a special place for the work of God beyond our constraints of, of understanding. And beyond our theology. Even. I, there's a priest, um, the Catholic priest um, that, uh, Chris is a very devout Catholic, and they attend a, a, a Catholic church down in Florida where they were married, and I just love Father Nick. 
he can say, Father Nick is this little old Irish Catholic, and he has such a beautiful lyrical voice that he could say anything. He could say the most heretical thing, and it's just so charming. You know, it's just so engaging. But he he came to me and said, you know, because we've had theological discussions before. He's just awesome. And, uh, uh, but he would say to me, you know, you can take this, you know, it's okay, because here's the thing about the Catholic Church, they have a rule for everything, 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 and now when I mean everything, so there's contingencies and there's clauses and ways, uh, if they really want to and if they look for it, and Father Nick always says, says, we have a union of another kind. That was his way of saying, you're kind of, but actually, in honor of my son, I don't. I still just take a blessing. What you do when you go out for a Catholic service is that when you go to the front and you go to the elements, you do, you do this, and the, the priest gives you a blessing, which is a wonderful experience, too. Just wonderful, just wonderful. One of the things that I have found special, I mean, there's been many special, but in pastoral care, when you go into a home and it's a few of you, and it's a real intimate thing in terms of somebody's either sick or or is constricted to home, and um, that's really an important time and a special time to have communion, to know that unity with God, that spiritual connection. Those are really special. The other thing, too, is is that children. You know, I really stress the fact that we it's important that we keep children in worship as much as possible. And especially, we don't have kids' church on Communion Sunday. It's really important to me that, to see that because, like Faith said, it's the glue. But it's also, it's also these rituals are the teaching aspects of the relationship that can be lived out in community. So I love to see the Harvey family and going up and Nathan and Isaac taking communion too, not fully understanding, but as mom and dad are talking to them. It's a teachable moment. And as we surround them too with, hey, Nathan has a question. I'm getting that a lot. Or Isaac has a question or has a prayer request or or something and connecting them to that, um, to this sacrament and to the rituals, the glue of our faith. I think about when I see that happening, I think about the children of Israel traveling in the, in the desert with the rituals of faith and the, great, the Passover that they, uh, that they um, instituted after they came out of Egypt. And I, I think about that, in fact, you know, they didn't say, okay, now we're going to get to the part that's a little hard to understand. Let's send all the kids out to uh, children's Passover. No. They weren't set out. In fact, they were brought to the center of it and made the featured piece, and they had parts to play. This was an intergener- This was a family. This was an intimate understanding of faith and an opportunity for the generations to be together and to understand that ritual has a very, very significant piece and part to play. Um, I just wanted to share 
uh, a little bit of these of these understandings of, of things that I have found and why I find that it's very important that we engage. There's another thing too that I remember. Remember a story that Roger Nishioka talked about in terms of communion and the smells and bells. He tells a story. Roger Nishioka is a great um, Christian educator in our denomination and a great minister. And he talks about the smells and bells of, of, um, of communion. And he said, I wish all of our churches could have bread baking and it waft through the building on communion mornings. And he says, he, he, he said this because he said, how many people then would then carry that, you know, smell is a huge part of remembrance. It's a great trigger for remembrance. And he says, you know, uh, when he has ministered in, in chaplaincy work and done uh, some things with uh, especially um, people near, near to the end of their lives and their experience in levels of dementia, that still when, when they smell bread, what will that trigger in their mind? It will trigger a remembrance that I'm a child of God. You know, that was a, such a story to me, a powerful story to me, because of my father's experience in our family with his levels of dementia in his life. He, he died, he had Alzheimer's, didn't know me at the end. And I thought to myself, what are the triggers for him? What were the triggers for him from memory to re truly remember that he was a child of God? And it was my mom's touch and face and voice. Also, my mom was a tremendous cook. So a meal really connected, really made it special. So I wish there was some way, you know, that we could do that and, um, and have a vent, a special vent with a fan. Ted, with a fan that blows it right into this room. We have the technology. <laughs> but I would love for it to have more experiences of the smells and bells of this ritual of faith. To where at any time in life, when you walk into a bakery, just remember, I'm a child of God. I'm loved. I'm cared for. And in closing, I just want to say this. There was a, a survey done. Of course, there's a survey for everything. And um, there was a national poll taken. What, is the, what word or phrase would you most like to hear uttered to you sincerely? What, what phrase, what word would you like to truly be said to you? And what's number one? I love you. We want to hear that. We want to be loved. You know, so that's number one. You know what number two is? No? Number two? I forgive you. I forgive you. Number three. Supper is ready. Yeah. That's number three. 
Now, uh, why would you think that that would be so important? Is it because we just have a craving for food? Food is an expression. My mom told me she loved me in word and with food. <laughs> Thanksgiving was a meal of love and thanks. That's what communion is. Those three phrases are embodied in communion. God says, I love you. God says, you're forgiven. And God says, supper's ready. Pointing to a larger supper, the banquet, when all things come together. This is the word of the Lord.